Hello, and welcome to this week's installment of Nucleus Investment Insights. My name is Mark, and I'll be hosting today's webinar. Today, our topic of discussion is wage growth, and will it cause inflationary growth and boost economic recovery? Our guests today to discuss this further are David Lowell-Smith, Chief Strategist of Nu at Nucleus Wealth, and Damien Klassen, Head of Investments at Nucleus Wealth. Before I hand over to you gentlemen, a quick housekeeping message. A reminder before we get started, if you do, if you haven't already done so, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the notification bell to be notified when we go live or have a new webinar to watch. Or alternatively, follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For those listening in live, feel free to drop in your questions in the YouTube live stream and have them answered along the way. Over to you, gentlemen. Thanks, Mark. So I think the, the main thing what we wanted to do today is really sort of dig, a, dig into the wage growth uh, issue. So we had some uh, wage growth figures out from uh, Australia uh, just uh, just yesterday, and uh, they sort of came through showing that there was there was certainly some recovery in wage growth, but it's but it's a recovery to to a very low level. Um, yeah, it's it's off the bottom, but it's but it's but it's not that far off the bottom. Uh, that's changed. Uh, that's a bit different to what we're seeing overseas, but. But the main thing we're trying to we want to try and come back to is um, you know, there's this specter of inflation and will inflation take off? And for me, the party is saying, well, inflation will only take off if, if wage growth becomes um, entrenched. And we're not talking about wage growth, which is this initial bounce off off, off of very low levels or recovery from from um, the, the the depths of the pandemic, but actually real genuine wage growth that's going to um, you know, continue. And and we don't we're not seeing real signs of that. So we wanted to really dig in and sort of go bit by bit through through each of the um, through each of the concepts. And so um, you know digging into um, where we've come from the last decade, because I think that's quite instructive as to to what we've seen in terms of wage growth. Um, looking sort of around the world at what's helping elsewhere, um, and then structural changes within the uh, within the wages market itself. So, and before finally getting back to that whole investment implications and what does it actually mean for the portfolios that we're running at Nucleus, and what does it actually um, yeah what's it going to do in terms of those uh, what are the effects for 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 end investors. <clears throat> So I might jump to that first slide. I might let you do this one, David. A decade of broken dreams, the, the RBA's famous um, wage price index forecasts. Yes, well, this is what happens to you when you have a glass half full view of your of the world. But, you know, economics isn't called the dismal science for nothing and the RBA got far too happy over the last decade uh, in all of its forecasting. And, and here we have a... a uh, chart that shows just how how poor that forecasting was when it came to wage prices, uh, which of course flowed pretty directly through to inflation as well. So it was a pretty embarrassing decade for the RBA. And if anything, just as bad at the Treasury with its budget forecasts, they were equally hopeless. Uh, now, Australia... And actually, should, I, should I just describe this chart as a, just for quickly for, for anyone? So this, uh, what sure, is, sure. Well, we've got just got all the, uh, the RBA forecasts here in different different colours, little little lines coming off a declining wage price index for forecasting for the year ahead. Uh, and each time it was a bottom and a, and a, you know, a kind of hockey stick recovery for one, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight or so. I mean, they, and they got it right one out of eight, something like that, uh, over eight years. Um, now, we're, we're going to go through all these various uh, uh, wage issues uh, one by one, but just a quick, a little bit of, the Australian market is a little bit idiosyncratic in insofar as immigration has played a very strong role here, where not necessarily elsewhere, although in some of the other Anglo countries, it, that is true to a lesser extent. Uh, there were two big factors in Australia's great wage deflation over the last 10 years. The first was the big mining crash uh, after 2011 which hammered our terms of trade. And this is going to be very important looking forward because we're about to go through very, or we are going through something very similar right now. And what that does is, is uh, slash your national income when your terms of trade fall. And uh, as a result, you, it's like the, basically the economy is getting a pay cut. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, when it's such a large slice of your exports, as in the case of commodities for Australia, um, that tends to filter down into uh, just about every price in the economy eventually, um, but especially wages, because uh, as income falls across the nation, um, business profits start to fall, margins fall, uh, unemployment starts to rise, nominal growth falls very quickly. Uh, and so you just get wage pressures, downward pressures. So that was the initial uh, problem um, that hit Australian wages from 2011 onwards. But what happened after that is we really stuffed up the policy response to that. And, and instead of, uh, you know, slashing interest rates really hard, getting the dollar way down and working on a tradable recovery that would have substituted that export income, we opened the floodgates on immigration uh, instead. And as a result, uh, we in effect imported just masses of cheap labour. We kind of deregulated the, the visa system and ended up with just heaps and heaps of unskilled cheap labour. Uh, and and that, that triggered some growth in other areas, in real estate uh, uh, and, and other places where you were creating kind of artificial shortages by growing your population. But at the same time, it absolutely hammered wages again because you simply had a permanent um, supply shock of cheap labour coming into into mm. Australia. So those those two factors played a major role in what has become an absolutely historic period of low-wage growth in Australia. We haven't seen this for a very long time. And, and keep um, in mind, these are these are real, sorry, not real, these are nominal figures. So these aren't adjusted for inflation. So if exactly. you adjust for inflation, you're basically at zero. Yes, you are. Mm. And probably the takeout from, from those two factors looking forward, and we will come back to this, um, and we're going to look at this more broadly, of course, uh, is that uh, we are going through a very similar terms of trade crash now as we did in 2011. Uh, you know, iron is getting slaughtered. It's got a lot further to go. The coals are going to follow. Uh, and so we're going to see this big income shock going into next year. Uh, and we're going to see a reopening into COVID uh, as the nation is vaccinated and both political parties want to resume exactly the same bad policy as last time during <laughs> terms of trade shock and that is a resumption of mass immigration mm -hmm. uh, and so you can expect wage deflation in australia uh, to be uh, a permanent state mm. as long Having as those, those settings are in place 
having said that as well, I guess to to uh, to the RBA's credit, they're they're actually publishing this chart. Like it's often, you know, it would be easy to yeah. hide it away and pretend it never happened. Oh, I mean, they, he's so, paid a million bucks to be transparent. You know, yeah, yeah so but that's but, fair enough. But but but, but, but he's, I mean, but he's I mean also also to the RBA's eventual credit, they did after many years of denying it, finally came out this year and said, yes, immigration played a key role in suppressing exactly. wages. And mm. you can argue that the, the kind of uh, politically correct blinkers that the RBA had on during that period, uh, where they felt they couldn't um, raise immigration as an issue owing to constraints of what was defined as civilised discussion by the press, uh, you know, blinded them to what was happening. And now, uh, as COVID has kind of shaken everything up and thrown all the cards in the air, they're more liberated and being a little more honest about the drivers. Uh, and so they are actually fighting, against, in effect, fighting against a resumption of immigration for Australia, the RBA, because they want to see wages rise, quite rightly. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're going to get steamrolled by political parties that that have no better idea and are owned by the interests that benefit from the immigration. So. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I guess so. Uh, it'd be interesting <clears throat> to see where they get steamrolled. I guess at least there's a, there are there's a there's a whole whole cohort of economic um, uh, journalists out there who largely take their lead from from the RBA. Yeah. So at least um, they will be chipping away at the the idea. Well, they've started they will, to... and I don't. I don't think it'll be quite as bad. I should say, yeah. uh, unless, <laughs> well, let me let me leaven that. <laughs> it, probably, it probably won't be quite as bad under Labor. They they plan to at least re-regulate some of the visas in the short-term mm. work and stuff. Mm. Uh, but they're still very committed to very high permanent migration, so it'll, it'll only, they'll only be marginally different to the coalition. But if the coalition is in, uh, their recent um, Senate. Um, discussion of uh, or study into into immigration was deregulate the lot, just yeah. just yeah. open open slather. So mm. it will be it will be worse if the coalition gets it. Mm. Maybe we can jump jump quickly to wages around the world. So um, yep. I've got some UK and some US charts. Uh, UK on the left and uh, the the US chart on the on the right, and they're both showing. Well, actually, I'll do the US first because the one on the right. So it's sort of, it's, it's got the the big drop from two thousand and eight, and then this huge rise up um, to through to two thousand and twenty, uh, with, with the Trump tax cuts and 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 lower and lower um, uh, unemployment, a, a bit of a drop off, but but now a sudden spike up again. So so wages there are actually looking pretty strong within the US, and then within the UK. Um, that one's got a few adjustments for some of the um, some of the government um, factors, but there's a blue line there, which is sort of showing that 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 again has um, you know even if you exclude all the effects of um, the the money that's been paid, um, you are getting some quite reasonable growth uh, in terms of um, uh, yeah in terms of wage growth in in both the UK and, and the US sort of back to uh, pre-COVID levels at least, uh, and you know three and a half percent. Is um is a pretty reasonable um if you're running inflation of two percent and you're getting one or two percent above that is is not a bad sort of feel for for a longer term. So that, that's sort of the at the big picture. The thing is though, when you take a step into that and see where the wage growth has come from, um, and that's these next slides um we've got up there, 
We've got one just showing how uh, les leisure and hospitality, the average pay has has really shot up within that industry um, since it's, you know, this, so this is within the US um, for non-managers, you know, $15 an hour um, just before the, the, um, the, the crisis to now, you know, 10% uh, above that um, now, you know, following the, uh, following the pandemic. And then another one that's just tracking together um, that same type of idea is what, what's on one axis, it's got the low growth, um, uh, sorry, it's got the average hourly rate, which is along the, the bottom uh, X axis. And then, then it's looking at the change um, over the last uh, couple of months. And you can see that basically low, it's it's the it's the lower income people who have had this big jump is is one part, but it's also the ones that have been um, the the most insecure um, because of this. So I guess there's and and there's, the question sort of comes back to you know are we seeing genuine wage growth here or is this I guess a reflection for if you if you're going to be a waiter um, is that you can get locked down and left at home and and have no money um, and and no you know without any support. Most of these are sort of casual roles. Um, well, that means you're going to need more money, or, or or you'll be looking. You know, there'll be a lot of waiters trying to trying to get jobs as, I don't know, as cleaners or as as other as other things that are, that have got more secure um, and and stable income. And so, basically, the the leisure and hospitality, um, because they're the most affected by these shutdowns, um, you know, maybe that means they just actually need to pay a lot more to their to their workers just to get them there. Um, but that it'll be a um, that's sort of a, a bit of a one-off adjustment, and and potentially that will even fade over time if we start going through long periods without shutdowns. As maybe that's um, you know people will forget about it and 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 start accepting whatever wage they can to uh, to get work. There's probably Dave. probably some COVID distortions in here as well that will work out over time. Like I mean the borders are all shut, international borders, so not a lot of travellers. Um, for leisure and hospitality, although I'm assuming they can work in the US, I actually don't know if they can. Um, uh, but but aside from that, still got quite a lot of lot of uh, COVID caution in people going back to work in the US. Um, yeah, well, that, that's one of the latest slides. We might jump to that in a minute. So and, maybe and, and in in the in the blue states, lingering uh, uh, unemployment benefits. From, from yes. the pandemic, extra yeah. employment benefits. So, so in short, um, I would expect participation to rise mm. as those well, things wane. Yeah, well, let's let's jump into some of those and, and have a look at what's been going on with those. So, I've got the next one. I've got is this um, uh, what's called a beverage curve. And so, basically, what it is, there's three lines in this graph, um, all sort of running from from uh, in a sort of 45 degree angle, and each one's a little bit higher. And, and what it's tracking is it's tracking the unemployment versus uh, the number of vacancies, job vacancies out there. And so the idea is that well, when unemployment gets low, um, you actually get a lot more job vacancies because people it's harder and harder for people to find um, to find employers employees. Sorry, and so they need to um, they need to advertise more to to get out and find people. Whereas when in, when unemployment's really high, you don't actually need to run very many job ads because you, you run one job ad and you get a whole bunch of people all looking for work. Um, and and what's really noticeable about this is that we've, when you go through structural change, that curve sort of jumps, and that's why I've sort of ended up I've put it as three lines. And so the blue, light blue section at the at the bottom is where um, you know it was running up and down this line, um, sort of prior to the financial crisis. Uh, the financial crisis happens, 
and you get this big jump up to the right where all of a sudden um, you've got all these um, builders and real estate agents and and uh, uh, mortgage brokers and, and people like that who, who now need a new job because they, 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 they don't have the, the work they used to do. And so you get this structural change and then it gradually that structural change comes out of the economy and arguably, um, you know, just as just as a um, pandemic was hitting, uh, we were actually back to a more normal, um, you know, that orange line was right at the top of it as it was starting to come down is where we were, which looks like it's it's probably back on track with that blue line again. Um, and so, um, and, 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 then, and then the pandemic hit and now we're just like completely off the scale. But the problem with this is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's either one of two signs is there's either like a radical amount of structural change that's needed to be made to the economy um, which to some extent, uh, there's certain truth to that in, in a certain extent, but there's also this part about there's this temporary dislocation of um, there's a bunch of service workers who haven't been able to work and there's a, the, the, we've had this big boom in manufacturing. And so um, you know, you've got to convince your service workers to, to go work in manufacturing. And now as the service sectors are opening up again, they need to convince people to come back and work for them again. So there's actually a lot of it's um, just, a, I guess, the the inherent frictions in in the in the in the job market that actually make it quite difficult. So, um, you know, it, I guess what I'd be saying, I guess, where to put it another way is, if you saw this, um, if you saw the level of job ads that are out there at the moment, which is sort of seven um, percent ish, you know, and you and you map that back to that blue line, you'd probably expect to see unemployment of maybe two percent. But we've got maybe three times that unemployment, and so it's. I guess one of the key questions nobody knows the answer to, but it's it's how much of this is just temporary, and how much of this is actually a genuine structural change that that will actually just take a long time to wash through, versus a. Um, and, and I think there's probably to me it's probably a mix. I think there's probably a quite a fast um, recovery as you start to open up, and then. Um, uh, but there will be some underlying structural changes that will that will you're not going to go back to that light blue line. You're probably going to go back to something closer to the orange one for maybe another decade until you get back to um, just something more normal. Dave? Sure. Yeah. On, on board with that one? Yeah. Um, okay. And that, and that brings us back to um, uh, what Dave was talking about was the other part is his participation rate. And so we've got another couple of slides just sort of showing um, US participation rate. And... I've split it into three different categories, or it's or on, on here. It's, I've got three different versions. On the left, we've got the the fifty fives and overs, because the problem you you often find in um, recessions is that when um, when a recession happens, people retire early and they never come back to the workforce. And and so the question with that is that is there a chunk of those people now who are actually not going to come back? Um, and then on the right, we've got, you can see that the um, there's two different ones, the 25 to 54s, which is where you've seen most of the jump back towards getting back to a more similar level. Um, but there actually hasn't been much recovery in the uh, the, the 16, um, yeah, 16 plus. So there's sort of like that three sort of, three areas of the market. Um, and and the, there is a genuine question about, um, in terms of unemployment's quite low, but, but unemployment is, um, is low because there's actually a lot of people that are just no longer part of the workforce. Mm. Dave, I wonder, yeah, I'm just curious uh, why the uh, why youth is so low. Any ideas? Mm. Um, I mean, especially given 
the uh, carrot of the rising wages in in sort of entry level employment like leisure and hospitality etc like, yeah well, david in the, in the australian context it could be the fact that a casual worker was working maybe three or four or five hours a week is now getting paid or was getting paid job seeker which was roughly six hundred dollars a week hmm. <laughs> or well, you know just... you know four four or five times what they were actually earning so the question is hmm. Why? Yeah. Well, let's let's go to well, the next slide. Yeah. Because yeah. mm. I think that's there's a little bit of the answer behind this. Um, is he right? There's a lot of people out there who don't want to work. Um, and uh, so this is a, we've got a survey that Indeed did of of um, people around the world, and, and I've broken out the US versus the the Australian ones. And so um, and this was this was around. Um, so there's a bunch of people out there who are who are vaguely looking for work, but not urgently. Um, and I can't remember exactly how the survey was, but it's basically trying to go to those people and say, well, why aren't, why aren't you urgently looking for work? And in the US, uh, the most important thing, most important reason was, was fears of COVID. So they didn't want to go out and get sick. Um, and, the, and the least important was actually getting unemployment benefits. Was like, oh, you know, so I guess the answer there is, look, I'm getting unemployment benefits. I don't really need to go out and work. Um, whereas if you look at Australia, it's, it's um, the most important was that they were getting the job seeker and welfare payments. Now this was only up to July, so you know that's obviously fading off, and there's, you know, there, there's issues there. But um, yeah, it is interesting that that's sort of that's the that one part. I mean, carer responsibilities is another big part. It's sort of almost twenty percent of people are basically saying, well, um, and it's probably a mixture of that and the spouse employed as well. If the kids are at home and or, or they're going to be back and forth in and out of lockdowns, and and there's a lot of home um, schooling needed to be done, then maybe. It's just not worth going out and looking for a job urgently, especially if you've got a spouse who's already who who is already working. Is there's that whole that whole mix, but there's clearly is, um, you know, the unemployment numbers while they've come down. I think there is a certain amount of that which is um, uh, which is not real in terms of once you clear out of the COVID, then um, there there is a, there is another group of people to come back. And so the question is now, do you get this short-term sort of wage spike while employers are trying to put their wages up, trying to attract these people back to the back to the workforce? But at some stage, you actually do get a flood of these people come back to the workforce, and and then you um, you you know the wages then weakens off again. I don't know, Dave, your thoughts on? Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I think. I think basically what I think is all of those things are going to happen. Like it's it's a, a sort of transitional phase between pandemic to endemic, if you like, mm. uh, where we've gone from protecting communities, uh, having lockdowns and stimulus to accepting the virus, being vaccinated enough, uh, and everybody just eventually catches COVID and lives with it, um, and the mortality rate is is you know like the flu, more or less. Uh, and if you're vaccinated, if you're vaccinated, yes, crucially. Yes. Uh, and so there's going that's not going to happen suddenly. And so what all of these things that you're describing are going to, I, I guess, be in tension over 2022 hmm. uh, as what whatever as we transition from that one regime 
of pandemic to the endemic regime. And um, uh, so I, I suppose I would guess, you know, we're, we're probably likely to see uh, pretty decent wages growth in the US, I would have thought, persist, but 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 probably come, you know, peak and kind of grind sideways over next year, perhaps. Um, here, uh, I wish it was so good. Here, I think we're in real trouble. I don't know what's going to happen to wages here, but it's not nothing good. Mm. Um, and then worldwide, probably similar. I mean, I, I really think that this will be a long transition, not not the V-shaped recovery that we had previously. Um, you know, more of a swoosh shape, I suppose, where, uh, or or an upside down swoosh, I guess. Where you've had a peak and it'll kind of slowly come off, uh, but then in the US, at a certain point next year, you you probably are getting to a relatively tight labour market later in the year, especially as as the uh, the big Biden the new wave of big Biden stimulus starts to come through and adds, you know, half a percent to GDP for five years. Hmm. Um, then pushing into 2023, you, you know, you might get some some stronger wage growth again. Hmm. Uh, so uh, I think the outlook for wages in the US is okay. It's, it's pretty good. Like I think they've got their policy settings reasonably good. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, I'm still not overly concerned about uh, a runaway wages cycle uh, because this is kind of pushing into so many structural headwinds for wages growth that um, as we're seeing right now, the moment there's any kind of tightening from monetary policy or fiscal markets start to hiccup rather badly and uh, you start to get some very heavy deflationary forces pushing down. So, mm. um, so uh, it looks like a decent wages cycle over the next year or two for the US, but perhaps fragile nonetheless mm. um further out as things normalize i would expect it to be pretty good yeah in terms of the aussie that's it's got the next one sort of showing some expectations from um unions yeah. market economists and households and it's what's um it's quite interesting to see that households are uh are not confident at all no well, wage growth I mean, households are the one living in ones living in the nominal economy, aren't they? The ones mm. that understand it best. Market economists uh, are a pack of muppets for the most part. N- unions, present present company accepted. <laughs> I'm a market strategist. <laughs> so, so you're going to be going lethal, are you? <laughs> so, and unions, you would expect them to always be. Uh, pushing for higher wage growth. So I think households have got it right. Um, mm. You know, I think the outlook's pretty gloomy for Australia bit, for, for the reasons bit, we've already described. A bit bearish for uh, less than 1%, but yeah. It's, it's... Uh, yeah. I, uh, yes, maybe so. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we are really entering a very, very tough income period for the economy. Mm. Once you add a terms of trade crash to, to the endemic COVID caution um, transition. Uh, that's that's a pretty sluggish economy. Mm. Yeah. Um, next one, I before, just want to, just want to go... raise this question as well. 
Uh, David, just a quick question to both of you. Uh, the RBA seems to be focusing more on supporting the housing market to try and uh, stabilize the overall economy. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect or does it affect at all wage growth and what we've been discussing up till now? Uh, well, I mean, the RBA will never admit that it's interested in house prices. It will only ever talk about inflation and wages and other macroeconomic prices. But, <clears throat> of course, it is obsessed with house prices. Uh, and as we see, uh, the endemic COVID transition, which will make things difficult, hit by the terms of trade shock, which will make things really tough, uh, then the RBO will be confronted with falling inflation and wages and it will, it will. well, I wrote yesterday, it'll, it may have to go negative interest rates. It will certainly be printing more to buy more government debt, but I think it, I think the prospect of it attempting to lower real mortgage rates is very real. Uh, and it'll do that by restoring the, the term funding facility. Uh, it may not go negative with that yet, but, um, you know, if it starts giving the banks money at zero, for instance, then that would be deliberately targeting mortgages, um, mortgage rates. And it would never say it was trying to lift house prices, but that is what it's doing in effect. So yeah, I think that's... that's the only weapon that's, left. <laughs> I think that's, well, well that, yeah, that so I think the, the, the RBA, that's exactly right. I think the RBA is naked and afraid and it will, <laughs> it, it will use the only weapon it has left. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a question here from Lily who says, where does working from home and not needing the increase in wages to cover your commute and city living expenses, et cetera. So yeah. does it affect? I mean, you're not commuting Absolutely. as much. You're not spending as much in your well, petrol, blah, blah, blah. I think for maybe for household budgets, there's, there's some sort of help within that. I guess the bigger issue for me is um, you now have a whole world of competitors. If you can work from home, um, then somebody can you do your job from a regional city where they might need a lot less in terms of wages. And then the second part is quite possibly somebody can do your job from Manila or from India somewhere, or, you know, pick a, pick a country that's with, with much low, lower wages than Australia. So um, it, it might not mean that they, the, the, the people lose their, lose their jobs, but it probably means that, that getting wage rises is going to be a lot more difficult because you've got that, that factor of I, I can't I can't go and ask for a ten percent wage rise where they can see that they could turn around and and outsource my my job to a different country and and save themselves thirty percent. So might not be enough to be fired, but it's 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 enough to to keep that real lid on on wages from from that perspective. And just so you know, Damien, this has been recorded. It will come back appraisal time. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> When, uh, yes, right. There's, there's a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position of being an equity owner here. That's, that's sort of <laughs> I, might, I might be saying that might be saying that to you, Mark. That's, that's, <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, uh, the next one that's just talking about this spare capacity part. So this used to be the sort of the um, the whole driving of of um, of economic models was that you know if there's spare capacity in, in the market, then uh, you could have 
weight growth, um, or if you didn't have enough spare capacity and you had this uh, Nehru, which is, a, I can never remember what it is, but non-repeating, but basically where the unemployment level where you don't get, you don't get, um, you don't get inflation from. And so that was sort of the basis of, of most of these models and most of the ones that ran sort of the RBA ones that generated those, those results. I don't know, Dave, you know, is, is, is spare capacity, um, is it is it enough anymore? Or and and maybe the, the the part I'd posit is for a lot of this spare capacity because we're doing a lot more trading than what we used to. Spare capacity is a bit of a global factor now, um, as much as it is a local factor. Yes, and the, this uh, comes down to immigration as well. I mean, you you have limitless spare capacity if you you have a large enough immigration program. Um, but uh, yeah, I think capacity still matters. It's just that the there's uh, the Nauru is kind of perpetually falling. I mean, the RBA has it has it. Uh, I don't know why it says five percent on that chart. They're they're, no. more, they're more at four percent now, um, and it's been falling nonstop for for uh, for decades. Uh, and, and we know the U, the US are talking more like three. Yeah. Yes, well, we did. Almost three in the last cycle, and we 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 only got to sort of three and a half percent wages. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, yes, it it matters, but there are so many other f- kind of headwinds to wages growth that it doesn't seem to matter the way it once did. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I again don't expect a wages explosion just because capacity is starting to get limited. But mm-hmm. if you can drive unemployment to three percent, then you will get better wage growth. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the other yeah, one they don't, other... they don't come in here. No. Well, that's let's we'll go into a few of those. Well, I've just got one more chart I wanted to show quickly, which was from yesterday's labour price index, um, which is showing that this private sector versus public sector idea, uh, and you can very much see there that the public sector is as low as it's ever been. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a discontinuity and the RBA itself has been out there, you know, exhorting people to get wage prices, wage price growth, and then turning around to its own unionized workforce and only putting through very low work uh, wage rises. And the government's in exactly the same position. So I guess the question I've got maybe for you, David, is you, can we actually grow private sector wages at a, at a decent clip if we're trying to shrink public sector wages at the same time? Well, obviously, it doesn't help. Hmm. I mean, uh, we'd probably differ a bit with with Leaf on this one, uh, just insofar as it, it can be frustrating watching bureaucrats get fat, fat pay rises, and they most of them probably don't deserve it. Although, I, you know, don't want to be too stereotypical, no. um, but it is true that uh, any of our regulators definitely deserve it. Yes, that's yes. Right. If, if they're listening in, yes, yes, they have super. <laughs> So, um, no, 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 uh, but, but, but yes, I mean, it's all, you know, they're, they're, um, components of the same market. Yes. So, exactly. so if you're, if you're going to squash one, it's going to impact, spill over into the other. So, mm. so no, yes. it doesn't help. Yeah. And by key, yeah, that's right. So by keeping, uh, by keeping the public sector wages moving along and, and ticking along, that offers an alternative employment situation for people and usually usually you know the trade-off is you get a lower wage in in public sector but you get uh, a lot more stability and so if if the wage 
turns from a 10, 15% discount to a, to a 20 or 30% discount, then that often will just mean that uh, the private sector then can just keep its wages down. So, you know, I think there's a, a fair bit of uh, cognitive dissonance, I think, from, from governments who are trying to get wages up and um, at the same time, uh, keeping the wages of their own employees as low as possible. And that, yeah, that includes the, includes the RBA. Yes. I mean, specialists at, government, at uh, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> yes. Yes. So some of the other factors, and as I said, there's this long list of these other factors that are sort of driving it. So, so I started with government support just in the, the view that there is, we've seen over the last year, a lot of job keepers and job seekers and, and you know, every other country's had, had its own version of that. Uh, I think there's, there's a short-term issue, which is we, we are seeing Delta outbreaks around the world. Uh, we are seeing, though, that vaccinated populations are, are dealing with it um, relatively well. But there is a, a, a key factor is if there is more government support, then that's going to that's gonna drive wages higher. Uh, the net and it, whether there's uh, whether it's substitution from private people paying it to, out to government, but I think probably the the biggest factor for wages is, is whether government support comes back or or if it disappears. And I think the more so the more support government support you get, the the stronger the wage growth we'll see. But if it's if it's going the way at the moment, which is uh, government support's being withdrawn, then um, yeah, that's that's obviously going to going to end up with lower wages. Uh, immigration we spoke about. I don't know if there's anything else on immigration you want to talk, you could spend a whole podcast on that, couldn't you? Uh, yes. Well, no. I, it's just just the case that uh, it remains a, a um, universal policy commitment in Canberra, uh, mm. and as mentioned, some of the other uh, mechanisms of government, especially the RBA, are starting to campaign against it. But uh, it's such a simple lever for government to pull. Uh, to, to artificially boost GDP, which is, of course, you know, their artificial metric for performance. Mm. Uh, and they don't look at uh, GDP per capita, which it obviously affects badly um, because you're, you're slowing the growth of the pie while cutting it between more people. And the alternative growth path is, is you know, productivity-based reform, which is much more difficult to do. Uh, takes real, real kind of uh, policy process, planning, and communication skills, all of which are completely absent from Canberra. Yeah. Uh, and well, so and it, you, don't, you don't get paid as well by donors. You don't have donors out there yeah, sort of no, saying, that's right. "Yeah." And you and you have many rent, rentier, rentier corporations now fastened at the, to immigration. So it it means that the uh, you know the great likelihood is that it will return. And if you put that into what we're looking at with a slow COVID transition and a terms of trade crash, then it means Australian wages are in for another lost decade. Mm. Uh, reopening timing differences is another one. So countries that open faster uh, and are more vaccinated will be more likely to see wages bounce back earlier. Uh, I think Australia are probably sitting pretty close to the the end of the certainly the developed world in in terms of that spectrum. Probably. I think we'll have, uh, I suppose, in behavioural economics terms, uh, probably the worst transition um, because we've been so protected. Uh, and so you would expect that as the virus spreads in the country, that there will be a lot more caution here than elsewhere, um, slowing the rebound once we do open, even though vax, even assuming vax rates at 70 or 80%. I think just that 
the fact that we've been in cotton wool for for two years will mean uh, just hesitancy will be quite high about getting back to normal. So I, I think that's another one another one weighing on Australian activity. Mm. State border controls. Are we going to uh, New South Wales well, going to be? Uh, well, this is really interesting. I mean, <laughs> this is where you get to COVID apartheid and. Um, Look, I think by, uh, say, Q1 next year, uh, <clears throat> vax rates are at 70, 80 in Victoria and New South Wales, and they're both kind of transitioning away from lockdowns. But then WA, you know, <laughs> talk about cotton wool, um, like they're a long way behind on their vax rate as well. They have a, pro a uh, premier dedicated to zero cases. Um, I mean, at a certain point, they're going to have to open their borders, but will that be even later? Uh, and if it is, then those borders will get stronger, not weaker, as other areas woke up. Uh, and I, yes, it's another headwind. Again, another difficulty in the transition between pandemic and endemic. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they're not seeing elsewhere because... Yes. Yeah. Different different states say within the US or different areas within France or Germany might have you know, different different plans for it, but the reality is they're all still open to each other and they're all none, none of them are at zero, so that they don't have that 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 issue of one yep. one state not at zero and the rest at aiming for zero. Yep. Uh, so we spoke about the growth hole. So um, you know China uh, and and so we'll, you know we spoke about that a couple of times over the last few weeks, but but certainly slowdown in China only seems to be gaining momentum in terms of no signs that they're going to reverse course yet. So uh, for Australia, that means a lot weaker growth again within Australian wages relative to, to offshore, but it's probably a, a dampener on all wages globally. Uh, yes. I mean, that's a deflationary pulse. That one of the things that I expect to come through and, uh, and pull down inflation worldwide. Um, does look like China is still dedicated to reform in this this uh, period. Uh, we will see more a slow turning and oil tanker turning in the um, towards stimulus, but uh, it is slow, and it looks like it'll. My guess is it'll be more monetary than fiscal this time around, uh, which presents its own problems. But uh, the key the key takeout from that is. Um, what we're seeing today, commodities prices getting smashed. Um, uh, and I expect that to spread. Uh, it's already, you know, pretty lively in oil and obviously iron ore, but I expect it to spread through the, the entire energy complex and base metals. And so that represents a very strong deflationary uh, headwind for 2022 for, for globally, global economy. And then obviously that uh, in turn, impacts potential wage growth uh, when you get low inflation like mm. that. Uh, tax rates. So, I mean, my, my take in, on tax rates is, you know, if you're seeing falling tax rates, that often just means that uh, governments don't need to, sorry, that companies don't need to, to, to increase wages as much. I guess the idea is that as long as people's take-home salary is increasing, then people look upon that as a positive thing. And so... Mm. Um, we still have sort of tax cuts coming through on in terms of the the Australian government. So, I, I guess my my thoughts are that's that probably means um, slightly weaker slightly weaker wage growth in in its own right. Uh, yeah, and inequality. Yep, hmm. like these things just just suck away aggregate demand. Yep. 
So yeah, you, that's right. You, you push away from uh, from from that um, uh, you know high capacity utilization that gives you the wages growth, makes it more mm. difficult. Yeah, and we've seen and it's what we've seen exactly from you know coronavirus is when you hand out money to to all the poor people, then they go out and spend it as fast as they can. But if if, if we see that um, asset prices are keep increasing, and at so we, we keep seeing lower interest rates, asset prices going up. And, and wages stagnating, then uh, that actually feeds into to less demand for goods, uh, which then feeds into lower wages again. And so it's sort of a bit of a, a, a cyclical, you know, pushing in one direction. At some yeah. stage, it'll unravel in the other direction, but um, it isn't looking like going that way anytime no. soon. I mean, the, the one place where that may transpire over this cycle later in the cycle is the US, again, coming back to the Biden stimulus, where... Mm. Uh, they are doing the right thing with a heavy his fiscal investment program, uh, and that that you know is clearly targeting inequality, and um, that may uh, that will work against these things. And so, you know, one of the one of the that's one of the reasons why we're kind of bullish on the U.S. dollar for the for the cycle ahead, because mm. we think and then their, their wages growth and inflation impulse will be stronger than elsewhere not necessarily tear away but stronger mm. and then the work from home stuff we spoke we had that question from lily a little bit earlier that sort of we covered off largely on that one yep so that's pretty much it for the the wages side so um so i guess the the net effect is we are expecting to see wages we expect to see some short-term upward pressures but as david spoke that that whole swoosh idea that that that, that fades away and that there is this, there's these deflationary factors sort of pushing down on wages, um, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. You need policies like you're seeing in the US um, to 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 try and you know combat that inequality. Whether the US has enough of it or not will be will be is an interesting question. Uh, and well, you're uh, trying to reverse 30 years of this, so it's obviously not going to be enough. But it's a start. Hmm. They have made yes. a start, which is, uh, you know. Better, better than, than what we're doing here. What we're doing here. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah. So what that means for us is that we, you know, we're we're quite conservative at the moment. Uh, we've got these growth growth scare we've been speaking about for the last two weeks. You know, over the, over the last couple of days has been has really started to hit the markets, and so for us it's it's a matter of about you know holding back, um, keeping on with the the sort of quality growth end of of stocks, uh, not really in value stocks. We're looking for this Aussie dollar lower and this income shock, which means more assets in, in international markets and, and less in, in Aussie markets. Uh, and and now it's a, it's a matter of reactions and looking at what uh, government reactions and central bank reactions are going to be. So the RBA has already said it's, um, it's working back towards loosening. And the longer we are in lockdown, the more likely we are to see them reverse case. Hard to see what's happening on the government end at the moment. So, you know, we're, I guess, watching for the government um, pressures or government reactions to the lockdowns in terms of uh, more stimulus within Australia. Uh, internationally, it's more about the the Fed um, has, is basically taking the other is taking the other side of that bet and talking about tapering. We suspect they probably won't get there, but uh, if they do start to taper, that's just going to increase that that possible downside. And so, if they, if they do get there, they'll be reversing shortly afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I guess the investment implications is really we're still in a market driven by central banks and and, and feds. Um, we think they're 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 being 
too, uh, they're tightening too quickly and, and removing support too quickly, which means there is this bit of a growth scare. China's certainly slowing down. And so that means uh, what we're really watching for now is what we're really looking for is keeping assets secure and, and, and minimizing downside with a view to then having some, some, some dry powder to, um, to, to, just, just to step in either when we, uh, when we see enough government support coming out or, uh, or markets fall far enough that um, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, the basic notion, I guess, is markets need to push policy. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, they won't. Yeah, looking to, to buy that, that uh, inflection point. Mm. But we're not there yet. We're still no. uh No. Okay. All right. Leave it at that, Mark, unless there's any, I don't know if there's any other questions. No, there don't seem to be any other questions here. Uh, we'll just go to the question of the week. And my apologies to the viewers. Uh, this should have been reworded a bit. I guess what we're trying to ask here is, do you think that wage inflation is at a new normal or is there potential for wage inflation going forward? Do drop your answers in the comments and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, just once again, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thanks again to our viewers who have watched this episode live and to all of those, all of you who have asked questions along the way. I hope you've taken away a few points to ponder and we welcome your feedback on the show. Once again, don't forget to click like on the video now. And finally, if you know someone who might get something out of today's episode, uh, do share this with them. And if you'd like to see more of our content, head over to nucleuswealth forward slash content, where you can see our previous webinars and uh, stay up to date from, uh, and to stay up to date with uh, news from us, follow us on the various social medias. Thanks again for turning in. And for myself, Mark, and the rest of the team, look forward to catching you next week.